Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome everyone. My guest today found out her best friend had breast cancer. Their friendship and bond became even stronger. The amazing life they were living would take a new direction, a direction that would ultimately assist so many women in rural areas of Australia to get the assistance they needed when undergoing treatment for breast cancer. The McGrath Foundation was born and for Tracy Bevan, a new purpose in life, filling the promises she had made to her best friend Jane. The McGrath Foundation has become a giant, especially when the SCG turns pink. Welcome, Tracy Bevan. Thank you. It's so great to have you come along today and have a chit-chat because the McGrath Foundation is not the only aspect of your life. (laughs) There is so much more to Tracy Bevan and that's what I want to find out a bit about today. So far, Tracy, your life has been incredibly busy Mm -hmm. and very much of it in the public eye. Life before cricket, what was Tracy's life? What did she do? And what did she love? So I was born in Manchester in the UK. Um, At the age of 14, I moved to a place called Western Supermare near Bristol. And um, obviously grew up there and had a great childhood from them at that time because I was born into a domestic violence home. Um, But obviously when we got away at 14, that's when I felt like my childhood started. So when you went and left, was it only part of the family left? No, myself, my mum and my sister. We basically ran away um, as far as we could. So all the way down south in in the UK and started life again in Western Supermare. And that's when I look at my childhood starting. And from then on, it was a pretty happy childhood. Um, I was always the clown of the class and loved amateur dramatics and that was, that's who I was. And then when I got to, um, in my early 20s, I moved back to Manchester and lived with my cousin and that's when I had the best years up until meeting Michael Bevan uh, of my life. So what was so great about Manchester back then? Oh, my cousin, um, who was a model, beautiful, always got invited to the best parties and we hung out We hung out with the soccer players, you know, and we just had the best time of our lives together. And of course, Manchester and soccer. Yeah, that's right. I was, uh, was involved, oh, well, I was involved with Manchester United for work, but um, we hung out, hung out with a lot of the Manchester City boys. So, I, you know, I've feet in both, in both teams. <laughs> Do you, you probably would have uh, taken up soccer if it was popular for women back then. Oh, yeah. I love the game uh, because, you know, I mean, who doesn't when you're from Manchester? But you, if you're a real Mancunian, you support Manchester City. Um, but if you're, you know, you want to be with the glitz and glamour, you go with Man United. So my most of my family support uh, City, but my mother, always, <laughs> from the, being a child, loved Manchester United, so... Well, I know the word man, man you because I hear it every week from one of my colleagues. Okay. He is a man you die hard, a pom. 
Oh, yeah. From the same area as you. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I get it drummed into me. <laughs> I'm not a real soccer fan, but um, I do I do hear the results. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so then how did cricket change your life? What happened that you met Michael? Yeah, I did. I met Michael Bevan, who was not playing cricket for Australia at the time. He was playing cricket for New South Wales, and he was playing in the Lancashire Leagues. So basically playing on a Saturday and Sunday in a little village called Rortonstall. And I'd gone out to a nightclub uh, near Black Br- uh, near Berry uh, with my cousin who was at Cambridge University. So we went, she went to go outside in Manchester. Anyway, I on that night I met a, an Australian cricketer called Michael Bevan. And um, I wasn't really interested in him because he was from Australia. And I thought, what's the point getting involved? But... As the story goes now, I obviously did. And um, <laughs> I moved to Australia in November 1994. And how old were you then? I was then 27. It's a big leap to give up everything at home and move to Australia. Well, if you would not have known me, I was incredibly close, obviously, with my sister and my mother going through what we'd gone through in childhood, and also my cousin, who I'd lived with, and her daughter, Gemma. And um, if you would never have in a million years think that I would have left that family unit to fly away to Australia. But I always remember getting on that plane, saying goodbye to my family, and I cried the whole way. But I cried because it was so easy to get on that plane and leave them. And I felt so bad because I knew I was doing the right thing for myself. And here you are in Australia, and lucky for us. (laughs) We're very lucky. Do you feel more Australian or more English these days? I always say um, I'm very, I'm a proud Brit, you know, that's who I am, that's where I'm from, and I remind my children that they're part British, Um, but I I feel it an absolute privilege and honour to call Australia home, and Australia has just taken my heart. It's a great place, Australia, I love it. I think so many people from the UK, mm. do carry a big piece of them when they come here. Yeah. Yeah, I think Australia, because it's so far away, if you make the move, you will either love it or you end up going back home because it's not that you can just go and see your family anymore, but the way of life is it's just so hard because you love your family and, and what you know growing up because this is very different. But to be here is just such an amazing thing that you battle with yourself. So I think, you know, I I now have my mother and my sister living here, so it's easy for me. But I do, you know, I do miss aspects of England, but I'm so lucky to call Australia home. Can I ask you, what is your favourite thing about Australia? Oh, that's that's too hard. Yeah, because it's it's very different. Um, what do I miss about England then? I, yeah, I could what do you miss about England? Um, without being rude to the Australians, it's the sense of humour of an English person. And that's not to say that I don't know funny Australian people. Of course I do. It's just that the English sense of humour, two English people sitting together... I can, you know, I talk to my cousin all the time, who still lives, she actually lives in Spain now, and I have stomachache la- with her. And oh. I remember Michael saying to me once, why can't I make you laugh like your Ingr- English friends do? And I said, don't try, because it's just different. So I yep. miss the sense of humour. And I miss the silly things like Marks and Spencers. But the minute I land and I do that and I see people, I cannot wait to get back to Australia. It's just the feeling of Australia. Look, so many Australians and English people living here love the British TV shows and yeah. the comedy. And yeah. 
I have lived with many English people all the time and my father came from England. So I'm used to those comedies and people just sitting down and howling with laughter. They, yeah. they produce really good TV. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and good do. drama. Yeah, absolutely. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. My guest in the studio today with me is Tracy Bevan. You'll know her from the McGrath Foundation. And and Tracy, making good friends in life is essential. And you and Jane McGrath became friends through the cricketing world. How important was that friendship to your stability in life, especially moving across the world? Mm. Well, Jane's also from the UK. So both meeting cricketers, Australian cricketers, and I didn't know her, obviously, in the UK. Um, But it was this... I now look back and I think I was absolutely blessed to not only meet Jane because she made life in Australia that little bit easier because you, you sign up for a cricketer and he's never around. <laughs> so oh, the missing husband. <laughs> yeah. And in time you realise that was a good thing. Um, <laughs> those were the good old days. Um, um, but So we, we only had each other. We only had each other every single day. And even when the boys were on tour... We were either at my house or her house watching the guys play or we were with the guys sat watching the game together. So we were always, always together. I feel blessed to have had the experience of a true friendship where you can be 100% yourself, tell each other the things that you don't even share with your husband and be brutally honest with each other. And um, yes, she she has been and still is a major part of my life and one of the reasons I settled really well in Australia. Friendships like that, some people unfortunately don't ever have Mm. that friendship. Mm. That's right, that's why I say I'm blessed because talking to people, you know, I... I know they've not had the experience. It's like a true love. You know, you have a love of your life who be a guy, but to also have another love of your life who's a friend, I think that you're really special if you can experience that. And also lucky that your kids were able to enjoy each other. That's right. Both our children grew up together and and my daughter's to see and still see and hear the love that I had for Jane, and they obviously that she was their godmother. Um, I think that's special for them to see too. And vice versa, you're the godmother for yeah. her children. Yeah, James so and Holly. Yeah. What were the most defining moments in the life of Tracy Bevan? Well, the first defining moment was meeting a very good-looking Australian cricketer called Michael Bevan in a nightclub. <laughs> did you just fall head over heels? Oh, or? he, honestly, so good-looking. But I remember telling my mum, the best thing is he hasn't got a clue how good-looking he is. Is that really right? Yeah, Canberra boy, you know, he's, all he did was he knew as a kid he wanted to play cricket for Australia, you know, just a real – and he played cricket for Australia, obviously, and that was all – that was his first focus and he met me and um yeah he, he was just yeah he felt like a country boy to me you know he's just not what he looked like he, he's just really lovely lovely guy so I, I always think of that time in my life as I said to leave Australia England and move to Australia without my family I knew I had to be with this man and um, but if you'd have also said to me years before oh one day you're going to leave England and you're going to go 
meet a guy and you're going to go to Australia and you're going to settle there, I would, I would have laughed. Never in my life would I thought that. So you didn't have a crystal ball that was going to tell you that? Well, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> and other defining moments? So meeting Michael, then obviously moving to Australia um, was amazing. But the next defining moment was having um, Olivia and Amelia. I think as um, a woman who was in a very privileged, um, living a very privileged life, wanted for nothing, travelled the world. Uh, the only thing that I didn't have was um, I was lonely. So meeting Jane two years later from moving to Australia was a great thing, a great part of my life. But um, it was waiting to have children. Yeah, we got married and I could not, I was 31 years old when I had Olivia and I thought I was going to be, this is going to be the best thing for me. You know, I can fill my days with this child. Oh, I, nothing prepared me for that. Nothing prepared me for being a mother. Someone who is, you know, a high achiever, I'm happy to say that because if I put my mind to something, I focus and yep. I, I do it. I thought being a mother was just going to be a easy. Breeze. Oh, hardest thing that ever in my life. So that was my children's another defining moment. And some women do make it look really easy. Mm. And for some... Well, it's obviously easier for some than others for reasons that we're going to talk about later. Mm -hmm. And loneliness, what was the loneliness because Michael was travelling and playing cricket or yeah. was it to do with your mum and your sister and friends being back in the UK? Everything, to be honest with you, everything. Um, but the, the one thing that Michael did for me and he changed my life again on many occasions, he brought my sister out for me. Oh. And then he brought my mum out for me. He bought my mother a unit in Narrabeen so she could come and live with us. And my mum then helped me. She gave me free time, but she helped me with the children. She allowed me to go and be a wife to Michael, to travel with him and watch games. So she gave me back my identity. You know, but I know my new, my new identity was a mother and obviously a wife, but I could also be me. And I, I think that's the hardest thing that I lost I didn't know who I was as a mother. Yeah. It was so difficult. Um, so, yeah, that was, a, that was a massive part of my life. And I want to come back to that and mothering yep. and the, the issues that were part of your life at that yep. time. But your third defining moment is no doubt the McGrath Foundation. Yep. Starting a charity, my, my best friend Jane obviously asking me, would I start a charity with her, which she named the McGrath Foundation because... At 31, when we were both together on tour in the UK, she came to my hotel room and knocked on the door and said, Glenn's asked her to get my opinion. Um, and what she said to me in that room was changed both our, our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't realise what she was saying. And she said to me, does my boob look a funny shape to you, Trace? I didn't know what she meant. And I was like, oh, no, they look, they look great, love. <laughs> And then she took my hand and placed it on her breast and I, I, could, I knew what she was asking me because I felt a small lump. Anyway, she went on to be diagnosed with breast cancer, but it wasn't until she was re-diagnosed. I know, 2000 it was, she wrote a book. Yep. And when she wrote that book, she was asked to donate uh, uh, proceeds to a charity. And that's when she said, I don't know what we're going to do, Dar, but I want to give back to this amazing country called Australia. Will you do it with me? And I was like, I'm with you. And the bond just cemented even more it did 
It did because I watched my best friend go through the hardest time of her life. I watched my best friend then have support from a breast care nurse and that changed her life. And I knew that she wanted that for other people. So together, that's what we wanted for the McGrath Foundation. And it's a giant. Yeah, you know, it started off in my house in Collaroy on the northern beaches. Yeah. The McGrath Foundation was born um, because Jane was going through treatment. You know, I was um, basically... I was the general manager at the time. I'm just giving myself tight titles because it was me and her at my house. <laughs> I, I called myself the CEO of Aging Fearlessly. Yeah, good on you. Um, but that's what it was. It was just, it was two friends, one me supporting the other. Um, Jane wanting to support those who were going through exactly what she was going through. Um, and that's that, having the passion and the drive. And selfishly, I'll tell you why we did this and, and it took off was because as mothers now and, and uh, wives of cricketers who come and go all the time, so our time became as friends second to everything. And even though we were on tour, it was always about the children. So for us, the charity was about not feeling guilty when we're at an event that we were organising. We didn't need to clock watch because together we were making a difference to other people's lives and we didn't need to feel guilty about being together, whether we should be washing, cooking, cleaning, ironing. No, this time was about our friendship and about helping Australian families experiencing breast cancer. How beautiful is that? Mm. Can I tell you what my aunt used to say? Yeah. The washing, the cooking, the cleaning will always be there when you get back. Yeah. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, and I had to learn that lesson. Yeah. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. My guest today, Tracy Bevan, has just been speaking about the three defining moments in her life. Number one being meeting her then-husband, Michael Bevan, and moving to Australia, having her children and the McGrath Foundation. But Tracy, I want to now speak about having children Mm. because you mentioned it was really difficult. Yeah, it was. As I said, I thought it would be really easy. I don't really think you can prepare anyone for having having that baby. You know, you don't know what to do with it anyway. I um, That wasn't the hardest part for me. It was not realising I was suffering from postnatal depression. And um, I remember I was in the UK once with Michael because not only did he play cricket for Australia, he also played county cricket in the UK. Yep. So I'd spend six months in each country, which was great at the time, but it still meant, you know, Olivia, Olivia was 11 days old and I had to fly to the UK for six months to be with him, um, which was great. But I, um, I just remember thinking all the time, is this it? Is this is this it? No sleep in the nights, no no one to talk to. This little bundle who I don't know what she needs from me, you know. And, and being a control freak, out of control. Um, and now I look back, and it was all things that were adding to how I was feeling. But I remember sitting in a park with her, and thinking, I sat there and it was raining, and I remember just thinking, if I kill myself tonight. My mum was there. She'll look after Olivia. 
Michael will be okay because he's got cricket and he'll get over it. I remember, and then I just, something, it was like a slap in the face, like brought me back. And I looked at her, Olivia, and I just burst into tears thinking, what are you thinking? And I ran, I went home and I rang Michael and I said, I need to talk to you about something. He's like, what's the matter? And it was a shock of his life to hear what I'd been going through because I'd not said anything. Because for me, me sharing what I was going through might have had an impact on his game, you know, Uh and him not playing meant he could be dropped. And then what were we going to do? So I just kept all internal. Internalising it. Yeah. And that was not the thing to do. No. So mental health is, and it falls under, it's mental health. definitely. And... um, it's always been such a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is how many years ago? 18, uh, 20. 21. And I remember because I suffered anxiety, my mother used to say, don't tell anyone mm. because you won't get a job. And, mm. you know, we used to sweep it under the carpet. Yeah. Yet that doesn't help you, does it? Definitely not. One thing I have learned in life is, you know, <laughs> I think I share a lot, <laughs> perhaps too much sometimes. But um, I think the the best thing I could ever tell anybody from my experience is to talk, find someone, whether it be your GP, whether it be a friend, whether it be a family member, you know who that person is, and just share how you feel. And the shock is that many people I spoke to, they're going through a similar thing and are so grateful that you've opened that floodgate to be able to talk about it. Tracy, that's the scary thing. When I was a teenager and in my 20s and early 30s, I thought that I was the only person mm. in the world that felt like this and I felt like I was going crazy. Yeah, that's right. It's really scary, isn't it? It Those... is. It is. And I think that I think that's I felt a weight come off my shoulders and then I told Michael. You know, and I, I and when I look back, I think was I looking that as being a weakness that I couldn't raise this baby that I thought it would be easy, and I I was struggling. Now I look back and I go, who isn't feeling like that? Who doesn't feel at some point out of control? And I think to, it's it's a strength to be able to say. I am not coping. Can you please just even listen to me or find someone who you can talk to and get the help that you need? You know, I think men, for me, are not that good at that. You know, women are getting better at that. Men are not that good at that. And I wish for them too that they could find someone that they could speak to and unload. We are human. Exactly. And it's a human trait to feel anxiety and fear and depression. They're all human states. It's all emotion. It's all emotion. And for me, there's lots of ways to get support out there. And it breaks my heart to see people going through, you know, whatever it is they're going through, when there is someone out there or something out there that can help you. You've just got to take that first step of opening up and being honest. What I really like now is seeing advertisements on TV and or showing that people do suffer. Mm. I mean, that slowly we're breaking down that stigma mm-hmm. and it's a shocking stigma. Yeah. But, you know, we think, oh, they're crazy. Some of the things that, you know, the wording that used to be associated with mental illness yep. and, you know, at least we're learning. Mm. I mean, we're on a path mm. and we're making headway, but... 
it's still got a long way still to go. Still got a long way, but at least we are talking about it. My my uncle had schizophrenia, so I've now learned from my experience that my family has a a low serotonin imbalance. So uh, telling my children that and giving them that historical, you know, um, information is, I hope, will help them too. Oh, definitely. You know, mm. I think um, talking, yeah, talking is really important. And mm. yes, as you said, there are many, many well-trained experts to help with mm-hmm. mental illness. So Tracy, let's get on to something a little bit lighter <laughs> because you are incredibly busy. Mm. What's a day, a typical day in the life of Tracy Bevan? Well, it's a lot more balanced now um, because I was basically working seven days a week. I'd be going to the office at the McGrath Foundation and have a role as director of community fundraising. Um, and then I was also the ambassador and director, so travelling all over Australia, speaking and attending events, thanking people, telling the story of the foundation, helping explain where the money goes, which is for breast care nurses, and showing people the difference the dollars we're making. But I was travelling a lot more and also in the office. So I had to say, right, where's my time best spent? So basically, I travel everywhere, all over Australia, attend those people who are uh, holding events for us or attend corporate events or conferences and speaking and helping people understand the free support of McGrath Breast Care Nurse and the difference that she makes to families' lives who are going through a really tough time. Did you ever imagine yourself as a speaker? I wanted to be an actress when I was younger. The reason I won a scholarship, the reason I didn't become an actress is because we went into hiding from my father. So when I said I was in Manchester and had to move away, so for me, my life became about making my mum's life easier. All I did was I left school and I wanted to get a job. I wanted to bring money in for mother. So no, I, I didn't do that. But I see this now as a form of just speaking and even though I'm not acting, it's from the heart. I feel like what I'm allowed to do, the voice I've been given, helps people who are going through a tough time. Like I love speaking, mm. but a lot of people hate it. Mm. They just hate that, that whole fear of getting up in front of people. Yeah. It's coming from the heart. It's yeah. so much easier, isn't well, it? Well, that's what I say when people say, oh, how can you get up in the front of thousands of people and speak at a conference? And I say, well... I don't think about that. I just think about what I'm talking about and what I know, I know what I'm talking about. And it's, as you say, it's from the heart, it's honest, it's genuine. So I, I, and I feel it's important that by sharing what I've got to say, I could be helping someone somewhere. So I see it as something I need to do. I have a friend who's a a CEO of a um, a Mm not-for-profit and he speaks to other um, retiring um, CEOs and business people about working for -for non-for-profits and and helping in the community once they've retired. What are your feelings about that? Oh, that's just amazing. You know, to have someone who's got a wealth of knowledge in whatever it is, they, they've got that knowledge and to be able to give it to an organisation which will have a cause. So helping someone in the community, I don't see anything better in life. You know, if you've been rewarded in life, you've, been, you've had this skill and to be able to give that skill back to an organisation who are helping someone is commendable. And I think it's amazing. Yeah, because too often I hear when people retire, they're saying, 
I don't know what to do with mm. myself. I'm struggling to keep myself busy and to feel rewarded with my day. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I mean, even with volunteers, we, uh, which we, are, uh, we have lots, we find out what their skill is. Because, you know, putting a volunteer with their matching their skill to what we need is great because they feel like they're actually not only, you know, they might be doing something like helping pack boxes for a high tea, but if they might be helping with marketing, they might, you know, bring in their skill. And it really is valuable for a not for profit. Because they're not redundant in life. They need to keep that purpose going because they are very skilled people. And they can also go on to train the younger people coming through. Mentor, yeah, exactly. It's really a, it's just a win-win all round. Welcome back. You're listening to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org.au. Welcome back. Tracy Bevan is in the studio with me today. And we've been talking about the McGrath Foundation. We've been talking about mental health issues, in particular how she was feeling through postnatal depression. And uh, Tracy, where do you get your energy from? Because you're so busy. You're running around the country speaking. Mm -hmm. You've got children, Mm -hmm. 18 and 21. Yep. Uh, so they obviously take up a fair bit of your time. Yeah, well, well, I thought when they were 21 and 18 that it, life would be different, but, you know, I no, they're still at home. There's, nothing's changed, really. <laughs> They've just got bigger opinions. <laughs> um, yeah. But my, I'm an extrovert but introvert. So as an extrovert, you know, at work I'm speaking and meeting people and always having fun and making people laugh. That's how I am. But I get my energy from being at home on the northern beaches, being at home, you know, walking the dogs every day, going to the gym, being with my daughters, cooking, spending time with my family. So the tradition in England is you get together on a Sunday. I still do that with a roast, Ooh, a barbecue in I'll the be summer. Lamb, <laughs> <Man, laughs> please. Uh, everyone's always at my house. So for me, it's about family and it's about just actually not feeling guilty about spending time on my own. Do you enjoy your own company? I love my own company. I enjoy mine now too, but when I was struggling with anxiety, mm-hmm. I'd hated to be alone yeah I think because sometimes you're alone with your own thoughts and I think that can be scary sometimes but you know I like myself I know I'm a good friend I know I'm a good mum and I was a good wife um so I'm pretty happy with myself you know I've got still got lots of goals that I want to achieve so for me yeah I'm I, I like who I am Tracy can I ask how old you are these days yeah I'm 53 on August the 5th Wonderful. You're shocked, aren't you? I am. I'm just like, (laughs) she's 10 years younger than me. (laughs) Oh, my God, what could I do with that extra 10 years? (laughs) Does she look it? (laughs) No. She looks absolutely fabulous, everyone. And she smiles the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I know she laughs a lot, which is something I'm completely envious of because I often say I don't laugh enough. Oh, no, I laugh a lot. Even through lots of things that I've been through in my life, I still think it's really important to find the lighter, sh- the lighter side of life. Do you laugh at yourself? Oh, honestly, if you knew me, people are always saying you need your own TV show because things always happen to me. Everything happens, always making people laugh. But I like that. 
I think it's really important and I have groups of friends and there's a couple of them and I I can hear their laughter. I can see their mouths and how they are and their heads thrown back as they laugh. I love seeing people like that. It's a real joy. It is. And I love nothing more than hearing a child laugh. <gasps> Isn't that wonderful? So it comes beautiful. from the gut. Oh, it's, it's like beautiful. That chuckle. It is. And see my daughters laugh together. I think oh. that's just so beautiful that they're so close. And just to see them having fun together is beautiful. Do you think you've helped them learn to laugh? Yeah, I have. And I. it's really beautiful now to see... I did an interview recently with a magazine and last week I got that magazine back and they asked my daughter's question about me and to read that it actually made me cry because I thought you know what I can let my girls go into the world to hear what they said and what they'd learned from me as their mum was beautiful and I thanked the magazine because without that I would never have heard the words that they said and yeah it was just I thought, you know what, I've done a bloody good job with them kids. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really satisfying. Yeah. What's the most embarrassing moment in your life? (laughs) Well, look, at the time I thought it was fabulous, but now I look back and I think, did you really do that? So Michael was playing for New South Wales. He just got dropped from the Australian side. So his first game back for uh, for New South Wales was very important that he made runs. Um, Unfortunately, he went out and on uh, like 15, he got, his thumb was broke. So he, he basically got walked off the pitch. Not only did it mean he, he couldn't play for New South Wales, it meant that his chance of getting back for Australia was pretty slim at the time. So he went back into the changing room and was all you could hear was this bang, bang, wallop. And I was sat with his grandmother, Ida, in the stands, and she was like, oh, and she was getting all upset because she could see, hear how upset he yeah. was. Anyway, so I got up out of my seat and I walked to the changing room. There's a little man called George stood there and I said, George, if you stop me, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. <laughs> Oh, okay, he looked at me. I opened that door and I saw the New South Wales players, some of them in the jocks, and I just went, excuse me, boys, and I walked through and Michael just looked at me <laughs> with his mouth open. What are you doing? I said, shut up. He's going, and they're all going, he'll be okay. I said, I don't care about him. His grandmother is out there and she's very upset about him. And then he looked at me and he went, ran into the toilet and he said, I knew that's when I was going to, I was going to marry you. <laughs> oh, so this was before you were even married. Oh, yes, yeah, this is when we were engaged. But yeah, I look back now and I think, oh, no. So I was the first woman who'd ever been in the New South Wales changing rooms. And uh, the coach said, and oh, my God, she was a bloody pom as well. <laughs> oh, I, it makes me smile just thinking of you. And I've only met met you today but I can imagine you doing that oh yeah all my family were not shocked let's put it that way I'm getting the impression I should never stand in your way yeah nothing yeah you know I know I was born in this world to help people started off helping my mum you know through my dad Uh, I I know I'm born to help people and if I make my mind up about something no one's going to stop me I'll find a way to get there You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. Tracy Bevan is my guest today, ambassador for the McGrath Foundation. Tracy, goals for the future. You're 53 now. Mm -hmm. What goals do you have for the future? Outside of the McGrath, well, for, for me, McGrath Foundation to reach our mission of every Australian family experiencing breast cancer, having the free support from one of our breast care nurses. And we've got 132 
Breast care nurses all over Australia. We've supported over 75,000 Australian families, but there's still families out there who don't have access to a nurse. So for me, it's closing that gap uh, because I made a promise to Jane on her deathbed that that's what I would do until the day I I see her again. I won't stop. Um, But a personal goal is to start sharing my experiences in life through podcasts, through whatever means, to hopefully help some people. Because I know I was born to help people. And I think by sharing ourselves and our experiences, as you said earlier, it's about you realising you're not the only one going through that. And I think psychologically that that just helps someone knowing that there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. And they're not just the person who's going through what they are. So for me, it's that. It's helping people through sharing my life's stories and experiences. Do you see age as a barrier to the things you want to do in the future or to anything, really? No way. I think um, age is just about experience. And I think that you are as old as you you feel, as they say. Yeah. You know, I don't... I mean, I look in the mirror <laughs> and I go, yeah, you're nearly 53. <laughs> but I don't feel that, you know, and I just feel that it's a privilege to get older because I know my friend would love nothing more to be here and watching her children grow older. Yeah. Um, so for me, no, age is just a number. I literally believe that. And you can keep doing whatever it is you want to do and just get out there and do it. I think when you have a purpose in life yep. and you keep setting yourself goals, yep. that's the key. It is. And another key, I think, is working on yourself. If you can find... What makes you happy in life? As, as the old saying goes, you find what makes you happy, you never work a day in, the, in your life. And if you, if you get to experience that, and even when you're older and you're retired, if you find what makes you happy, a passion, and you're living that, then the day is just so much easier. So I think it's about getting to know who you are and what it is you, you want. Not always thinking about others as mothers, as wives. You know, it's about who are you? What makes you tick? What do you like? Not feeling guilty about having that part for yourself. And um, going out there and just living your life to the full. Yeah, and there's many things um, in life that help us as we age. And that's community and it's education. In my life, I'm continually finding things to study. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially in the world of technology today. You know, my daughter, who's a singer, Olivia, who's, who's now into YouTube, you know, I, I see her and I think, what? well, actually, she asked me, could she leave? She wanted to leave university to be a YouTuber. And let me tell you, in my head, I was like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> you know, all the private education. Um, but now I see she's flourished, she's happy, she's smashing goals. And, you know, it's so for me, she knows a lot more about in her 21 years right now than I know. I don't know about this world that she's in technology. So I'm learning about that. And it's like my mum, who's 91, she doesn't understand the world that we grew up mm. in and the, you know, <laughs> but now it's becoming even more oh, difficult yeah. for people to keep up. You've just got to keep learning because otherwise you're going to be left behind. And I think there's something nice about that. You know, it's, it's great to be like, I have conversations with my daughters about things that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily know, but now I do, I can have those conversations with them in their world. <laughs> Yeah, well, Tracy, I have so much loved having you in here today. Thank you. It's been, been... I've loved it. Thank yeah, you. look, and I'd love to see you smile and I love to hear how you laugh and the things that you've done in your life. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. And I'm sure that the listeners, someone's learnt something today that they'll take away from 
you know, with them. So do you want to say goodbye to everyone? Yeah, thank you so much for listening to me. I hope someone out there have made you smile because that's the thing in life. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. And you know what? We're looking forward to your podcast sometimes oh, because I you. am sure you're going to smash it out. You're doing them with your sister, with perhaps? With my sister, yeah. And it's going to be a laugh. Thank you. I'm signing up. Great. There's one. <laughs> so this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in It's not all nine to five, it's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high, swim across oceans wide. Live out our dreams, just you and me. Let your heart be alive. There's no time to Gotta go get the most out of time Don't be afraid Like this treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything nice Let your heart just let your heart come alive, honey. Let your heart be alive.